Welcome back to I've Never Seen. You join myself, Patrick and Jesse, deep in discussion on The Next Generation Season 2. Something that I found quite interesting about this as well, and it's not something that I sort of... I, so I read an article, and I'll see if I can find the article and link it in the description of the podcast when, I, when this gets put out. Um, I read this weeks ago before I saw this episode about the Borg and about the development of the Borg. And something that this article pointed out that sort of I, I found quite interesting and then was looking out for when watching the episode is if you watch through Q-Who, there's no acknowledgement or mention of the concept of assimilation at all. The Borg aren't, like, I mean, there's no reason why they could be considered not to assimilate people at this point, but it's not, it's not a part of the character. They don't try to assimilate the crew. They don't, like, it was not a retcon as such because it was never not, it was never not possible but it wasn't until Best of Both Worlds and later episodes that we got that sort of core concept of the Borg as these this assimilating force. Yeah, it's Wait. very it's very jarring. Well, I mean, not jarring. That makes it sound worse than it is. But like, if you if you watch, there's essentially essentially three Borg stories before the season seven cliffhanger. Um, there's this one. There's best of both worlds, and there's I Borg, mm-hmm. and you see the progression. Where in Q Who, you know, the word assimilation is never used, but the concept of assimilating technology is introduced by Q and by the actions of the Borg. Um, and then in best of both worlds, that's the big twist that you know they have have um, you know added someone to the collective. And then in part two, not part one. But in part two, they drop a line about, oh, you know, we're going to incorporate the population of Earth as well. And then in iBorg, suddenly assimilation is what the Borg do, which, you know, with with sidetracks here and there, more or less, that's where it where it comes after that. But, you know, and I think Phil Farron pointed this out in the book, the book he had that I read when I was a kid, you know, you really if you actually watch the episodes and you experience them as they're coming out, it's hard not to notice the the pump fake. Uh, but I do yeah. concede, um, as I think I mentioned during the live tweet, that this is small potatoes compared to the retcons they do on like Cybermen and Daleks and shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, don't, don't, get, don't get me started on the Doctor Who stuff. We'll be here all night. <laughs> um, but we will, we will move on because we've got, what, six episodes left? Uh, I think one of them we're going to spend quite a long time shitting on, so we should probably move on. Um, Samaritan Snare up next. Um, the B-plot in this episode is very important, mostly for setting up a much better episode in Season 6. Uh, and then, as we know, in recent months, the uh, the alien race introduced in this episode, the pack has become... a. Uh, somewhat more important in the context of the overall franchise. Uh, but despite, you know, moments here and there, uh, Samaritan Snare is a dog. Yeah. It's, it's got some, like I was saying earlier, it's definitely got some intellectual elitism going on. They're punching down a little bit, which isn't something that we see Star Trek do a lot, or Starfleet, rather. I think to some extent it's deliberate, though misguided, because the plot actually results from them yeah. thinking that the packlet are idiots, but then being even bigger idiots. Yeah. 
I I feel like you could almost point to this as the genesis of the idea for the Darmok episode. Like, what if there was a race that was no like equal uh, technology wise, but just couldn't communicate for whatever reason, or was just not on the same page, right? So okay. their first okay. idea was like, what if we have them just not be reading the same book? Or, you know, what if we have them be slow readers? And then later on, it's what if they're not reading the same book? So I but yeah, I, there's still enough in it, I think, for me as of like a like I said before, a big Trekkie, there's enough in it for me to enjoy it on a rewatch. Um, but there's it's not an immaculate episode by any means. No, I, I definitely agree. I think it's 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 certainly trying to do something, but it's not <laughs> not doing a very good job of it. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Um. It doesn't get much better with the next episode. Either. <laughs> um. So we got up the long ladder, which I mentioned earlier. I have a bit of a soft spot for, and I do appreciate um bits of it. I think. Some of the characters, some of the characters are, are brilliant. And, and then you have the clones and the stereotypical drunken Irishman. <laughs> well, and it is it, 100%. And it's got the, I think it's one of those sw- those big swings I was talking about earlier. They were like, let's take, you know, very high concept thing of like, what about a whole society's fate? But what if there was this whole other society? But then they had to like mix those societies. Like, you can see where they were thinking that they were building a great metaphor. And it, it was like, oh, you you just fell off of the thought train before it even left the station. Like you just, your face planted on the platform and you didn't even go with. It was, wow, okay. But, you know, yeah. what? They, they're taking swings. <laughs> yeah, it, it boils down to this, this repeated concept of they, they tried. They didn't yeah. succeed, but they certainly tried. Which is, I think a little bit more admirable considering, you know, when and how it came out because now Netflix could order three episodes of a series, put it up and see if anybody likes it and then cancel it. Right. You you didn't have that really back in the day, especially not with this show. It was already syndicated before it started airing. So it's like, yeah, they had sort of, you could argue they had a responsibility to make the attempt every once in a while because they had such a, a prime slot. That's true. And I mean, you, you, you could also sort of point to, especially in series two, um, with all the background stuff going on, the writer strikes, writer strikes stuff, that they had to take any script they could get, I think, at this point. It feels like it could tell. Um, yeah. So, I, mean, I was just looking at the, the review on tour.com, and it's uh, the same writer as Measure of a Man. Yeah, really? that's like it's like a hugely strange um, stumbling block. Like you come out of the gates with measure of a man, and it does make me wonder: was there like any sort of politics going on where they were like, let's put that name on it because she was in the room? But I, you know, um, I, I mean, I think no it's idea. just it, it's hard to make a TV show, and sometimes if you just get it on the screen, like that, you know, that's a decent day. You know, like like I'm a teacher. Not not all the lessons are are amazing, right? <laughs> Sometimes you just gotta gotta get through the day, and you know you're gonna be amazing on another day. It is a job. It's a hundred percent fair. That's interesting though. Like you mentioned about these both being written by the same person. I just looked up on memory uh, on memory alpha while we were talking. Um, uh, so the script that she wrote for Measure of the Man, um that was obviously eventually became the Star Trek show, was offered to the show by George R.R. R. Martin. 
what? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know where he came into having the script. But apparently, yeah, that's an interesting connection. Yeah. Uh, I know yeah. he was a Hollywood guy for a long time before he was famous. That's that's true. Yeah, maybe he was. Maybe he had some connection to it that way. That's strange. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I'm grasping for things to talk about for this episode. To be honest, yeah, why bother? Yeah, yes, for the next episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh yeah, because the next episode is so much better. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you, know, okay, you know what? I'll I'll defend Manhunt. You know, as as playing with with more of what becomes the show's institutions. You know, you got the about once per season visit of uh, Luxana Troy, and of course, there's the meta ness of being played by Majel Barrett Roddenberry, who gets the somewhat thankless role of voicing the computer in every episode. So these are the ones where she gets to really cut loose and have fun. Um, it always gives Marina Sirtis something to do, you know, because you can't have Luxana without Deanna. Um, and, you know, she's, she's fun. She, she her, and it's so interesting because I, I guess she's, she's technically, she's an alien. She's a full Betazoid instead of a human. And you get a little bit of that because her dramatic arc throughout the episode is because she's interested in this one thing and she doesn't quite get to it, but maybe she learns a little bit about herself on the way. And then on her way out the door, she's like, oh, by the way, blah, blah, blah. And that resolves the whole plot that the actual crew had been concerned about in the first place. <laughs> I will defend this episode for one scene and one scene only. <laughs> we know the scene. We know the scene. Because uh, obviously, for, for those listening who might not... Um, the plot of this episode is basically Luxana Troy is going through the Betazoid version of the menopause. And in Betazoid women, this makes them, for some reason, incredibly horny, but only for one man. Because Gene Roddenberry. Um, <laughs> and this is explained to Picard by Riker and Diana. Uh, by Riker commenting that it was something that Diana had explained to him when they were seeing each other, that a Betazoid woman going through the phase quadruples her sex drive. So Diana responds, or more. And the look on Riker's face, she says, or more, is the look on a man who knows he's gotten into something that he can't deal with. <laughs> well, it's also, the, it's also the opposite of the, oh, I dodged a bullet there face. It's like, <laughs> I don't know though. He mugs for the camera. He's thinking, you know, that's if, what Deanna, I'm saying. if Deanna hits the phase and no one else is around, like I'm in like Yeah. <laughs> you know that Riker would be very supportive. Because he says, Oh, you never told me that. And her response is, I didn't want to scare you. Uh, this, yeah. is, this, is, this is Will Riker you're talking to. Don't threaten this him to scare him. <laughs> exactly. He just was like uh, propositioning Klingons for threesomes literal weeks ago. So. <laughs> oh, dear. Now, I would say that there is, if there's one, like, social point you could make about this episode it would be at least we get to see this strong you know albeit a little bit slapsticky female character making her own decisions being in charge of her own life she has 100 agency she actually has more agency than most of the other characters in this episode and she has the ability to examine their motivations etc so it, in that way at, at least it's a healthy portrayal of 
a woman past the age of 35 on popular television yeah. as a sexual being and making her own choices, which I, I think is pretty cool. Well, the subtext of Majel Barrett being the queen of the show is so successful because Loxana is the queen of the show, therefore, when she turns up. And I think everyone just has a lot of fun on these episodes. I, I agree. I think Patrick Stewart paired with her is is one of the most cherished things that a lot of Trekkies remember about the episodes that weren't necessarily great, but that they still enjoyed. Yeah. Speaking of great love interests, we have Kalar coming up next. <sighs> Such a great episode. Yeah, this I think it, it may be not the best episode of the season, but it's certainly a contender for the top two or three. But I think it, K- Kalar is easily the best guest star of the season, in my opinion. And such a fun look into that that difference between the culture, that Klingon culture that Worf thinks he idolizes and what it actually is, right? He's, he's like, we're all about honor and we care, Klingons care about this and Klingons are all about this. It's like, dude, you don't know that. You grew up in Russia, man. Like, yeah. out, you know? And Kalar outflanks him so effectively in two respects in that she's half human. Um, so she has a deeper connection to humanity in one sense. Mm-hmm. And that she actually, as a Klingon ambassador, she understands a lot more than about Klingons than he does. Because in some ways, at this time, she he's actually avoiding them. Uh, yeah. And really just is a character who's got him coming and going. But then she finds him so compelling. And, you know, because he's, he's honorable and he's dependable and he's always come through. And the dynamic is just really interesting. Especially because she has that that lens to understand him with, right? Like he feels like a child of two worlds, and she also is a child of two worlds. So she it's it's a really good pairing. Yeah, well, and she feels powerful. Um, so I don't know exactly, you know, I don't remember all the details, but I remember reading from some of my oral histories and whatnot that there a, a scheme was hatched, I guess. As soon as they cast Susie Plaxon for Salar, I don't know if they like met in the hallway or something, but someone was like, we've got to do a, a love story with her and Michael Dorn. Um, and so she, the way things ended up evolving, she was she was cast and transformed into this different character and we didn't really see Salar again. But it's fascinating to me, the idea that this prospective guest star had such a strong chemistry with one of the regulars. They're like, we are going to exploit the hell out of this. Yeah, she shines in this episode all the way through. I mean, if you want to say Loxana was a strong female character in the last episode, Kalar is like, you know, she's a different illustration of that, clearly, but uh, equally effective, I would say. Absolutely, definitely. Yeah, I think it's something, it's, quite, it's not necessarily touched on as much because she's very much the foil to Worf in this episode as well, but there's an interesting sort of dynamic in this couple of scenes that she has with Troy about this whole sort of two competing races sort of combining into this one person as well. Is it, it, like I say, it's not necessarily touched on as much as it could be. I think I saw someone uh, compare this recently to um, to Alana later on in Voyager and that same sort of concept of the past. Um, half Klingon. It is, it is very much a sort of, it's an interesting dynamic to work with. Mm. 
Well, okay, let's not forget that um, we have Dietrich Bader as a random gold shirt in this episode either. Yes. <laughs> Go check out this chick on Channel 4, bro. <laughs> Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And, the, and the poker game recurs for the first time. So does oh, yeah. so does oh, yeah. Klingon, so does Klingon calisthenics. You know, so it's it's suddenly taking these one-offs and making them into staples of the show. This episode Klingon foreplay as well. I mean, that's, uh, well, that'll yeah. That I guess that's getting picked up from the Dolphin in some ways. <laughs> well, and I, I love that the like alien sexualities are always something that could be like a regular human fetish, right? But it would yeah. be strange. So, like, they've got the uh, wrist sniffing, and then <laughs> you've got the uh, Ferengi who like to have their ears rubbed, right? It's like, okay, all right, yeah, I. I that is not that big of a leap. I guess I could see where you guys yeah. went with that. <laughs> so I, I do think. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I do think, and I'm, I'm. I don't know on the timings, but I'm pretty sure this would have come first. But it did very much the whole. Um, we've had sex, so we have to get married now. Thing is, strike me as very full weddings. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, that was that was. Um, the emissary, which again, like I say, definitely one of my favorites of the season. We've got two episodes left to get through. Um, peak performance coming first, which is another one that I'm going to have to Google. So, peak um, really, it's one with uh, the the um, Roy Brocksmith and the the Hathaway oh, yes. versus the Enterprise. This is one of my favorites. Sorry, yeah, no, it, it is. No, this is me. This is my memory playing up rather than anything about the episode. No, this is a very good one. I, well, it's one of those names, again, one of those episode names where you're like... It doesn't that, say that much. It doesn't any character. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, 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 I eat this shit up. Like, for you know, first of all, it's another great, like, Life on the Enterprise episode. Um, but then, you know, it's got the war games becoming an actual war. And, like, I, sometimes I really dig, like, when Star Trek is like, you know, we're a space navy and we're going to dig into that. Well, it also, and it's, you could argue that it's kind of a fluff episode, right? Like there's not a huge, you know, status quo shift or anything like that, but it is the, one of the most well done fluff episodes where there are no big giant stakes going on, I think. And I believe this is actually the episode where we get what might be my favorite Captain Picard quote. Which yes. is, it is possible to make no mistakes and still lose. That is yes. not a weakness. That is life. Like, I'm, I'm actually going to be totally honest. I just choked up a tiny little bit saying that loud. <laughs> it's it's I, you know, I always sort of like recognize like, oh, that's a good beat. But I think the internet really picked up and ran with it and made that like a capital M meme. And right. I realized just how much it resonates with people. Especially, you know, when you're, when you're becoming an adult in... You know, things don't always go the way that you want or expect. And it's like, I need, I need Father Picard to, to get in here with those feels. Well, and he, yeah, and it's, he says it to a character whose stated goal is to become more human. Right. And, you know, as a, you know, I, I don't mean to be, you know, you know, whatever it's called, label conscious or whatever, but as a fairly new parent, like I have done growing up in the last couple of years that I never knew was <laughs> necessary, right? Like I've, I've had emotions that I never had before. I've had experiences I've never had before. And it's like, 
there are days even, you know, for, you know, at work where it's like, man, I just feel like nothing is going my way. And you can, you can hear this in your head and go, you know what, just because it's not going my way doesn't A, mean that I'm doing it incorrectly and B, doesn't mean that I'm, you know, any less valuable to the people around me. So it's, there are, I think the strength of this series, one of the strengths of this series as a whole is that we do get so many gems just like this throughout, even in episodes that are, you know, less than stellar, you'll have dialogue and lines of dialogue that are really really poignant and can be applied to relatable situations regardless of the time which of course is the the essence of doing star trek right you tell real human stories in this sci-fi setting for that reason because they're still relatable and it makes you transports you there when you're watching and i mean how much fun is it to see data a lose this game and then b very come really close to like burning the guy he says i've busted him up and you're like oh, my little android boy is growing it's, it's just such a beautiful like familial episode like you were saying it shows life on the enterprise and it's i agree with you and that i eat it up spoonful by spoonful i love this episode <laughs> it's beautiful man yeah so I, if, if i have one complaint about this episode i don't think the war games go on long enough Mm. I think the Ferengi turn up too soon. Yeah, no Ferengi at all, I'd be happy. That's a budget thing, I'm pretty sure. I would have been quite happy for them to just just have the war. It feels like they come up with all these plans and Riker's like, yes, we'll do that. Well, we don't get any payoff on that because the Ferengi turn up and I'll get Yeah, I would love to see an extended cut. Give me 12 more minutes of Picard versus Riker. Yes. Yes. They should have done a they should have done a movie of that, hell. Yeah, honestly, I'd watch I'd watch it. Mary Universe TNG movie, don't at me. <laughs> yeah, but who would you have playing them? Uh, that's a whole other podcast. We don't have time for that. <laughs> Maybe we'll do a special episode. Or do we? Yeah. <laughs> we'll do a we'll do a special episode at some point covering who we cast on That's a good idea. That could be fun. But yeah, um, we have one episode left to talk about, if, if you can call it an episode. <laughs> Wait, um, do, do we? Yeah. I, it, they, there are credits associated with it. I don't... That seems there to are. indicate that it's an episode, but I, I agree. It's like... Uh... Well, okay, so let, me, let me just comment real quick on this concept of the clip show, which... Um, you know, obviously, why do these things happen for budget reasons, um, or for writer's strike reasons, or whatever? Um, but when before streaming, they actually played a role in the ecosystem. Like I remember as a kid getting really excited when this came on because it was one of the rare glimpses into like the fabled season one, and and oh. delving into the fact that this character had a history. It's a very episodic show. And all of a sudden yeah. they're going, oh, let's look at the history of this character within this show. So, you know, there's... I hadn't even considered that. Well, well, and like I said, this is this is when I was a, a very tiny child. Now, you know, it's trash, but... <laughs> well, you don't need it because you can stream everything. No, no, exactly. So, so clip but, shows now are, are, are definitely more inexcusable than, than they were maybe at the time. But even then, I think that there's... there's 
moderately acceptable clips. I mean, there's a few episodes that spring to mind of shows like The Simpsons that do clip shows, and they, they kind of work. And then there's a clip show for a character who's not been in enough episodes to have enough clips to do a clip show. <laughs> well, so probably the, the, the thing that really destroyed clip shows for me while also being the funniest thing I'd ever seen at the same time was it's sort of obscure, but did either of you ever see the Clerks animated series? No, I have not. Well, the gag, and it's it, it's only six episodes, right? It was canceled immediately. It was six episodes, only two of them actually aired on TV. So it's not like you're missing much by checking it out. But it was funny in a lot of meta ways that, that you didn't really see in the ecosystem quite yet. This was like in around the year 2000. And one thing they did was they... They made their pilot, right? And that sort of established all the premises of the show. And then the second episode was their clip show. (laughs) Which, of course, was not a literal clip show because that would have been ridiculous, but it's set up in the format of a clip show and they keep trying to reminisce and stuff. But then they're like, wait, that was last week again. (laughs) (laughs) That seems very Kevin Smith. I can dig that. Yeah, and then eventually they, they go nuts and start like, you know, talking about things that happened last year and the year before that, and then that's all newly animated. But the the absurdity of, you know, we're gonna do our second episode and it's a clip show is always is always at the forefront and very enjoyable. <laughs> but no, it's it's almost it's almost like a lost art and it, lost and unmourned art, I would say. The clip show. But I appreciate you pointing out that it had served a purpose back in the day because I hadn't even considered that they were that clip shows were ever forgivable. But you know, to think about oh, they didn't used to be a way to watch all the episodes in a row, or might used to be helpful to have a quick recap of episodes that you missed because you know it was only on at a certain time. A thing that I found in the Wikipedia article for this that's kind of interesting, and I believe I could explain it. There were more viewers for this episode than there were for the episode prior. And it's obviously because this was supposed to be a season finale, right? right. So a bunch of people tuned in expecting a true season finale and got this. So I, I, having not experienced that live, I do wonder what it was like. Okay, Jesse, how old are you? So I am 33. Oh, okay. I'm the old man again, but only, for, only by a year. <laughs> um, I, I remember my toddler years with unusual clarity compared to most people, so... Maybe I'm a little bit more of the old man in that case. That's impressive. I do. It does also, there's a name on the credits here, Hans Beamler. Do we know if that's like the inspiration for the name Boimler on Lower Decks? Oh, jeez. I wondered the same thing. He's a very prolific Trek writer. And that's like a pretty specific name. Like, yeah. Oh, and then, of course, Maurice Hurley, it would appear, was all over this episode, which is unsurprising. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll dish some dirt. Like, you know, he was he was very involved in season one and season two, and he spilled a lot of tea in that William Shatner documentary. But the rumor is he also wanted to go out on a date with Gates McFadden bad enough that he drove her off the show. And she came back for season three upon learning that Hurley was out. He'd been banned from a lot. So, well, and if, if I'm not mistaken, he wasn't a writer, right? He's like a lawyer or a, an assistant. Oh no, no, no! You're, you're thinking of you're thinking of another guy. You're thinking of a uh, Maislish or and or, yes. and yes. or Berman. Actually, neither of them were professional right. writers. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I was definitely thinking of Maislish. 
Yeah. Although Hurley, you know, he, I, I have to say, you know, I love Q Hugh. Q Hugh is his baby. Like yeah. he's, he's the sole credited screenwriter on that episode. And it's also paying off a bunch of stuff that he set up, yeah. but fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's those, uh, art and the artist debates right there. <laughs> well, it, well yeah. it's so important, I think, to recognize because this is where people get tripped up that like you can be a good artist and also an asshole because if you don't internalize that, then you think, oh, I like this person's art. Therefore, they must not be an asshole. And that's exactly. an extremely destructive point of view. Yeah. That's a very good yeah. illustration of it. Chappelle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, let's, let's not get into that. <laughs> Yeah, speaking I'll of be speaking of fuck that guy. Yeah, pretty much. Um, we'll, we'll 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 wrap up there because that is the end of the season. And if we keep stay on this topic too long, we're going to say something that's going to get people mad at us. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was that was season two of Next Generation. I mean, in general, as a season, general thoughts. It's. Half it's about half innocuous episodes and half bangers. And like we we think of season two as being it's still finding its legs because they're still in the dumbass spacesuits and there's still some awkward scripts, but like any show would be proud of that record, you know. Half of them are fine and half of them are bangers, and then you know, there's one crappy clip show and that's it, right? Especially yeah. in a strike-shortened season of syndicated television. Sure. Absolutely, yeah. No, I think, I think again, this, it goes back to what I was saying at the beginning. Is that I can see how the show will be getting better as it goes on, but I think sometimes people are too quick to sort of shit on these first two seasons. And there, there is a lot of really good sci-fi in there. Yeah. And really good stuff about the genres as well. It, it diversifies really well. Well, and it's to keep the metaphor from earlier, they're definitely finding their legs, you know, with the with at the start of any series. But I would say here in season two, they have their legs. It's just clear that maybe behind the scenes the legs are not quite totally untied, or you know, maybe one of the legs is lame, or maybe yeah. one of the legs has a shoe that's not the right size, or maybe they're wearing two left shoes. But they're definitely there. The pieces are here. We we can see it, and we're you know in our in our hearts we're subconsciously going, just put Crusher in there, and it would be fine. And and yeah. yes, I mean as as much as it's got a point of view, and the point of view is that of as a smug bastard who recently went to orbit. Um, I do recommend the Shatner's Chaos on the Bridge documentary just for yes. being like. Because TNG is so lauded, it's just interesting to see, like, you know, wow, things were really going down. But it's very telling that, you know, the documentary essentially ends when they get to season three because Michael Pillar comes in and saves the show, and there's no drama after that. <laughs> but yeah, that, that, that was series two of The Next Generation. Um, onwards into season three, I... Season three, I, I want to revise something that I said to you recently. Um, I said it was they were all great, but there's one mediocre one. And I'm looking at the list of episodes. I'm going, okay, okay, you know what? You know what? There's two mediocre ones. The rest actually are great. <laughs> so I hope you're enjoying your, uh, as your journey begins. And I can't wait to do uh, yesterday's Enterprise with you. Yes. Yes, I'm very much looking forward to that. And that will be the comedy track for this month. Um, so very much looking forward to that one. Uh, the next two weeks, 
there won't be any Star Trek live tweets because I'm doing the Halloween stuff. It was just going to be next week. Um, whilst recording the poll for which franchise I'm going to be doing over Halloween for this, and it was exactly 50 50. So, so I'm doing so I'm doing both. So I'm doing. I'm going through the Halloween franchise this coming week, and I'll do Scream the week after. Almost, I think that's the way around. I put it. Whichever way around it is, it, it's that, on my. That makes sense because Scream explicitly uh, references Halloween, so you'll have more fun doing it that way. Yeah, but really. Like, also doing it, that, doing it that way means I'm watching Halloween on Halloween. <laughs> well, yeah, sure, but like the 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 seminal. The, the the movie that establishes the genre is Halloween, and the movie that that really moves the genre forward is Scream, so it makes sense that way. That, uh, that's pretty perfect the way that's worked out then. So yeah, the next two weeks will be those, and then we'll be back to Star Trek Lightweasing. Um, but in the meantime, uh, Jason, do you want to plug your, your accounts and your things before we wrap up? Yes, thank you. So... I am the host of a podcast called Sudden But Inevitable. Uh, we started out as a Firefly rewatch show. I had a very good friend who I watched The Mandalorian with, and he was like, oh, this is my favorite space western ever. And I was like, dude, you got to watch Firefly. He goes, what's Firefly? So I, over the course of six months, forced him to watch it one episode at a time, and then, of course, subjected him to the movie. And at the end of that, he was, he had really enjoyed it. So I said, hmm, maybe we should try, uh, I don't know, Cowboy Bebop, because that's kind of Firefly adjacent. And it's not something that he would normally enjoy because he's into anime, so, or he's not into anime at all. So um, if you want to listen to Sudden But Inevitable, you can check us out on any of your favorite podcast apps. We're everywhere that you get podcasts. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Sudden But. That's just one T in the butt. And it's, you know, the reference to the quote from Firefly, curse your sudden but betrayal, uh, of course. And uh, so for season four, we are going to cover the show Death Note, which my friends have also never seen. But right now we're in the middle of like season three, which is like a mini season. And we're, we're having some crew shakeups and like a bunch of life stuff is happening around us. So we went with maximum flexibility and we're watching movies that some of us have never seen, but that the others love. Now, I got to tell you, thank you, and it has been very refreshing to talk with people who are able to look past some of the inconsistencies and flaws in a thing and see the beauty that lies underneath, because I just finished speaking with my friend Ricky D from a show called Best Flicks with Ricky D about a movie called Highlander. He had never seen it before, and he said all night trying to tear this movie down and i think i did a pretty good job cropping the movie up not that the movie needs me to defend it uh-huh. it did win the academy award for best movie ever made so <laughs> if you'd like go check out sudden but inevitable on all of your favorite podcast services follow me on twitter at sudden but or to get everything that we do all in one place go to twistmyarmpodcast.com slash SBI. You'll find all of our live shows there. All of our uh, our podcasts are embedded. There's all kinds of stuff. We have a merch store. There's a lot of stuff there. So definitely go check it out. And I just want to say one more time, Sam, thank you so much for the invite. I have had an absolute blast in case you couldn't tell. I love Star Trek and I would love the opportunity to have you on my show and I would love the opportunity to come back if you will have me at some point in the future. Absolutely. No, and thank you for coming on. And I, I definitely obviously uh try and have as many different guests as possible on but i'm more than happy to have people on more than once so you'll 
you're welcome back anytime. Very Technically, good. I'm a guest. <laughs> Technically, sort of. You were the first <laughs> guest, and then you just never left. But you might can't yeah. you. Yeah. Of course, and you know the the terrible the terrible irony of all that you just said is that the Mandalorian is still better. <laughs> it's newer, that's for sure. Anyway, that's been a wrap myself before these do have a fight. Uh, that's been uh, the that's been I've never seen. Uh, I've been Sam. I've been Patrick, and I have been Jesse. And we'll see you next month. Lots of love. Tara. This episode of I've Never Seen was brought to you by our lovely followers over on Patreon, including Andrew McGray, Joshua DeVries, Matthew Wolf-Simon, Paul Stockton, and Rob Birch.